WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. R&D in the QC, episode 74. We talk about tonight's strategy session and make our predictions for the primary. Episode 74, R&D in the QC, and we are back live. Larkin, how are you feeling? Let's let's... Let's tell it like it's the first time here. I believe that I mentioned that I am tired. You did. And that I am glad that seven days from now, uh, this election, at least the primary election, will be over. Uh, Literally, it's, what, 8.30 right now. We should should have our early voting data uh, and results in about exactly a week from now. Within another hour, we'll, we'll know probably who's won the local races, and maybe another hour after that, we'll know. Bishop and McCready. Uh, I just pray that that doesn't. We joked about this earlier. What if that ended up in a tie and they had to do it all over again? There's a, listen. There, there's a lot of scenarios that could happen, but only one is completely unacceptable to me. And, and that's that a tie. Is that this continues on <laughs> for any longer than it has. Yes, agreed. Of course, if if there were some irregularity this time around, they'd probably just say to hell with it and just allow the 2020 election to to figure it out. I don't think you'd have another special election. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, they already have to start. I think they have to start like next month campaigning for right. 2020. So um, uh, great. Once once you finish unpacking your boxes at your Washington office, get back out there. Yeah. And then um, one interesting thing that I saw was the, I think they were showing the numbers of absentee ballots in the ninth last time versus this time. And it's like a percent of a percent. I mean, I have absentee, real uncool to do absentee ballots. Absentee now, ballots, basically. not a real popular not, thing not right now. Not a big deal, yeah. So that race um, is is obviously going to have the eyes of the nation on it. Mayor and city council less so, but um, there are some interesting ones. We can we can. You want to talk about those first? You want to talk about tonight's let's, meeting let's, real quick? Let's drill into tonight's meeting. We don't need to spend too too much time on it, but we had a couple major updates. One was in the bucket of. Um, where we're how we're progressing with things like the TOD, things like um, the tree ordinance, and things like signs sign and the sign ordinance. And the other was uh, uh, we had a kind of an ad hoc opportunity zones conversation. What jumped out and, at you from that? NREM. Um, oh, in NREM, that's right. Properties. Yeah. I, so the NREM was more of a detailed explanation of how we go about. Um, you know, in day-to-day speak, people would refer to it as, as a building, in this case, mostly residential home, being condemned uh, when it's unsafe, when the cost of repairs would exceed, in our ordinance's case, 65% of the value, the tax value of the structure, not the tax value of the property. Um, and then we would order demolition on it. And that is not done hastily. It's done very methodically. And so that was explained tonight so that people understand that the city's not just going around going, well, a tree th- fell through your roof, so you got to tear your house down. Uh, it's a very long, drawn-out process. And things get really bad by the time they come to us and we're um, authorizing that demolition 
border. Some were trying to see if there was an angle in the cases like Lake Arbor to use it as a lever in the private sector. And I, I, some I interesting think it's a separate conversation. Agree, agreed. It, it, there's not an angle. I there. think the, well, I think it's relevant. I just think that the, I think they set out to discuss tonight more of the single family stuff that we deal with. The multifamily stuff is certainly relevant and faces many of the same issues and questions, but I, I think those are probably separate tracks um, and probably need to be dealt with separately. Lauren Eggleston has joined. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I didn't even know if she still knew we did this show. (laughs) (laughs) Just assume we stayed, just hung out after the meetings now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Hi, honey. Hey. Um, Hey, hon. You don't call my wife, hon. (laughs) So so we did in-room. And then I was actually pretty pleased with um, with the updates that we got briefed on around the sign sign ordinance there's actually a couple things in my district early on when we got on council one an attempt to make two scoops creamery an ice cream shop in my district paint over an ice cream cone mural that people love to take pictures in front of which i thought was absurd able to put a stop to that you got Um, free ice cream for life i bet no it's thankfully i did not (laughs) because had i had i gotten ice free ice cream for life this suit would feel even tighter than it already feels talking about how tight the suits feel yeah i've got a new dry cleaner and they're shrinking all my clothes and what i said to you was i don't think so bud well i i can think of no other explanation other than the clothes i feel like my my suits are shrinking as well but like uh I'm not going to go blame someone like you. You're, well, you're going to take it out. I mean, I'm not mad at the dry cleaner. Dry it's just, cleaner. it's probably something in the chemicals they use that contracts the threads. That, that sounds I, I logical. It's, it's squeezing me is all yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, that was cool. I, the thing I asked about any, anyone who's a longtime listener to the pod knows that I've talked about this a lot over the last two years and have done absolutely nothing about it um, is the contradiction between the tree ordinance and the sidewalk ordinance. And how we continue to see, um, you know, case by case basis uh, projects and petitions come up where the, the plot of land is constrained in certain ways. They can only do something that can meet one of the two in two scenarios and and um, and they're forced to make a decision and or we are forced to put put them down a path. And uh, I just I think it's something we need to get the political will to sit down and just know that we might slightly piss off the tree or the sidewalk people in doing so, but to leave it undefined is just, I think is a, it's a bad approach. Um, and it allows, you know, somebody in the bureaucracy of government staff to ultimately make a decision on a case by case basis, which is how it's working here of how it should work because we're, we're unwilling, I guess, to, to, to go ahead and make that, that well, decision. The, some of the new flexibility and the discussion around the updates of the tree ordinance is solely confined to, and I think they said this is about 4% of our city's land mass is strictly confined to our urban zoned areas. <clears throat> but the flexibility that it offers in how people meet the tree ordinance doesn't mean there's going to be less trees required. It just means there's new ways to meet those requirements. And I think hopefully that creativity will allow people more latitude to meet both sidewalk needs and tree needs. <coughs> you okay, Bob? Yeah. I don't know, I'm a little choked up. Um, the TOD rezoning we talked about, that's going to be coming up in November. Almost 2,300 parcels that I think they said was approximately 1,900 acres of land, um, really along the Blue Line extension, and we're going to be rezoning that all at once. I think that will make life a lot easier going forward um, for 
the next council, future councils, instead of these all coming in one at a time because people want to conform and uh, adopt these new visions we have for transit-oriented corridors, they'll just be able to do it because we're going to give them that zoning uh, proactively. Yeah, our colleagues had a lot of comments on this one that uh, I thought were a little bit out there. I mean, some stuff is relevant, but like, yeah, it was, you know. I mean, on, what do you mean on the TOD specifically or all three? Yeah, maybe I'm blending all, all three. I mean, the, the TOD, I've said for a long time, we one of the biggest pushbacks we get when we're doing rezonings is people will say, well, we did this neighborhood area plan or whatever corridor plan in 19 60 well but even if you did it last year well let's say three years ago because we haven't been doing the plans lately but if you did one like five years ago and then people say well this rezoning doesn't doesn't necessarily align with what we set out in our vision plan the problem is that every time we've ever had these vision plans any council's ever allowed them or facilitated them that they didn't codify any of it they just said here's our hopes and dreams but like you have the tools to actually make it happen. You just didn't have the political will to make it happen. And so um, the frustration for a lot of people is we have plans that don't acknowledge the reality of the current zoning and other things. And then the plans don't manifest because there's no legal teeth to it. And so when we created this new transit-oriented development vision and plan for the Blue Line Corridor and hopefully the future Silver Line Corridor and others, we said, all right, now it's time. We need to update the zoning on the properties that we want to look this way that we have prescribed so that they will actually end up looking this way. Like it's, it shouldn't be a novel idea. It's, it's not going to be painless, but I think that it'll be worthwhile and it'll give our plan a chance to actually come to fruition. Uh, but I was real excited about the sign ordinance. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of silly stuff that, you know, is all the important things that government has to do. Um, worrying about like murals and stuff, and and the irony of that, if I if I completely remember and understood, if I understood it correctly at the time and completely remember all the details, is that like an ice cream shop could have a mural of a shoe on the side, but it can't have a mural of an ice cream cone, and a shoe store could have a mural of an ice cream cone, but not a shoe, of course, because it's basically then viewed as an advertising sign or like a a branded sign for your business. Well, to me, if every store in the city wanted to do their sign in mural form, and it's, I, mean, I, I, I think more art is a good thing. So this, that was one of those things where it was just absurd. Stuff here. It was, it was just what absurd. What if you have a shoe, but like on the top of it, you see that it's filled with ice, with ice cream. cream. I would eat a shoe full of ice cream. As long as it's like a new shoe. No. <laughs> um. Well, that's great. Man. So, uh, I'm glad you're so pumped about the sign ordinance. I haven't seen you so nerded well, out for a while. Well, it's like just this. because I've had a couple of instances where I've gotten to deal with it directly. And there was one in the Plaza Midwood Business District where people were using the little A-frame signs to advertise their you know, sandwich special for the day or their whatever. Um, and then that was in violation. And so there's some of this stuff where it's like, if they're not blocking a sidewalk with an A-frame sign, why not allow, especially our small local businesses, yeah. to advertise and try to draw people in off the street? If we want people walking on the street and we want them patronizing our local businesses, let's make things a little easier for the businesses. And Totally. Uh, if, if one of the reasons people go to Two Scoops Creamery is because they've got an ice cream mural they can take a picture in front of, why would we want to paint over that? It's, so you know, It's funny, our, our districts, we've talked about this in the past, like I don't, I don't think I even have a mural in South Park or around the, those areas, right? We can fix that. Let's yeah, let's get some in there. Perfect. Um, Tark 2019. <laughs> but it might be a little late for that. But but what what where the, I have encountered the sign ordinance through the last two years has been more on um, 
rezonings and like in, in negotiations between neighborhoods and petitioners in, you know, is it going to be backlit or this or that? So uh, it's, you know, there are definitely seven distinctly unique little mini cities inside our city that each experience these ordinances in different ways. And so for all the art people out there, tentatively, this new ordinance would actually not have a prohibition on any mural style signs. Um, but then I, I think there were some good examples too. You know, I talked about the old JFG coffee sign that people will remember that went up on top of the um, music factory. Luana Mayfield mentioned the Volkswagen Beetle that's on top of Pinkies over at the corner of Moorhead and Freedom, which is kind of an iconic, not a sign in the traditional sense, but it's certainly a marquee or a, a marker for a place. Is that the, the, the first one you said, is that the coffee cup or the other one? The one that you stole so, in your garage? Yeah. I, if I, I wish I knew where it was, I'll, I'll put that call of action. What, ha- what happened? Thousand, like thousand dollar reward from Larkin Eggleston. Not out of, out, out of, of my pocket. Money. Nice. Out of my pocket. Thousand dollars. If anybody knows where the coffee cup sign is, someone stole it. But hold on. If we, if they bring it forth, do we no questions asked? No, because because Gardine. Because I'll put a thousand on top of that. Because Gardine Wilson is talking about reopening the coffee cup somewhere, and so to be able to put that old coffee cup. Original I'm coffee gonna cup throw sign, I'm gonna throw two hundred on top. So the, okay, so the reward is twelve hundred. No questions asked. But I I mean I like we'll have to discuss what happens with the sign afterwards. Well, we give it back to Gardine and he puts eh, it at the new don't restaurant. Don't be so hasty. There could be a lot of adaptive reuse things we could do with the sign. I just want to get the coffee cup back open and I want the $1, sign there. Twelve hundred dollars. So it's a cold case. Do I mean is this like uh? I don't know if there's a mysteries? team still on this. It's been it's been ten years. I've been re- I've been starting to listen to uh, these real crime. Cold case. You think we could get one of those people to take this on? It was a dark and stormy night. It was September 14th. It'd be a short episode. What was the year? And and then the sign was gone. 2016. That's all you know, really? The sign just disappeared? Yeah, well, the restaurant shut down. Did the person who the restaurant just say, I'm taking the sign with me? Well, I think they probably would have at some point, but like it was just gone one day. Interesting, man. How do I not know about this mystery? If only there was somebody like. Charlotte Squawks or something like that could solve this for us. Brian Kahn just joined. Uh, oh, well, I was going to say it's a really random thing because I don't know that it would resonate with people 10 years later, but I agree. it resonates with me. Not a lot anyway, of the stuff they come out with resonates, though. I think we talked a lot longer about tonight's meeting we did. than we planned on. A little ADD, too. Um, but election. So we don't have a meeting next Monday. We will not be doing another episode before the election. Maybe we could do a post-election recap Ooh. like next Wednesday. Thursday. I like it. Wait, a post. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do a pre right now. Yeah. But then I'm saying like next week in lieu of the fact that we won't have a meeting. Let's interview the victors and then a couple of the people who are the losers. I don't think they're going to want to be on the show. Well, the, we're going to do like the local press. Gotcha. <laughs> running down like stairwells. Stand, stand at the <laughs> elevator bay for five hours <laughs> waiting for someone. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. So... <coughs> Um, well, why don't we start with mayor? Who's going to win mayor? Uh, pretty sure Vi. Uh, why'd you pause that long? You were trying to figure out. I was trying to think of something funny to say, but I I couldn't, I don't have anything left. Vi, Um, I would say she's she's got like 50% or higher odds of winning this one. Her odds are definitely higher than 50%. She's that is definitely, true. Did you read her endorsement that they, they uh, just threw out today? Glowing. I think, came out? I think it was a yeah. fair assessment. There's five people in the race for the Democratic primary for mayor. Three of them in, are entirely not serious. Um, and although I will say, I think Lucille Puckett is a good person. I think she's a good advocate in the community. So I, I don't want to lump her in the same 
bucket as the other two who are completely not serious um, and should not be considered for anything ever. Uh, Lucille is a good person. She doesn't have a chance of winning this race. Joel Odom is a good person and I think has a potential future if he stays um, stays engaged, stays involved, and continues to to build his experience. Doesn't it? Is it? Doesn't it make you question though? Like, he, I've heard him. I've heard him speak in a debate. He comes off well, but he loses all <laughs> credibility with me when he decide, decides to start at mayor. That makes me feel like it didn't, he's got some wires loose. It didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it and could, this year, it could, above, above all years, yeah, the hardest this year. I mean it's a different circumstance and I, I get your point. Like it is odd that you try to jump in but and you made mayor. that call. Like what other calls are you prepared to make? But I mean, you've admitted in hindsight that when you ran for council at 27 or whatever, you certainly weren't prepared to be a successful council member like you were 10 years later. So, but I was kind of crossing my fingers. I was like, man, I wish I could beat Patsy Kinsey. <laughs> well, but I knew that was highly unlikely when he knows it was highly, he knows, entry in. he knows it's like, highly unlikely. He's going to be fine in that it's impossible. But it's almost like uh, it, it's, it's. But he's got his name out there. I mean, we all know who Joel Odom is now, and no one did before. So I mean, in that mm-hmm. way, right. he's not he's not totally wrong if he's just building name ID and trying to build a network to then build off of. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think he's a good guy. I think he, he's thoughtful. Um, he stands no chance of winning. I think he will. So I would predict that Vi gets one hundred and twelve percent of the eighty percent of the vote. <laughs> Really? Uh, 75 to 80. Yeah. I think Joel will get more than three quarters of the remainder, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tigress? Then, uh, yeah, I'm going to say Lucille comes in a distant third. Tigress comes in a distant fourth. And Roderick comes in in absolute dead last. Roderick Davis might get less than like 200 votes. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> well, because he's only shown up at one thing the whole campaign. Okay. Okay. Uh, but he's been on the ballot several times before. Tigress will get less than... Definitely get less than 500 votes. So we should probably suck up to Mayor Lyles then and uh, yeah. she'll be around? Pretty sure she's going to be around. Got it. Got it. Um, Where do you want to go next? We can at, go large, at large or yeah. District 1. At large. Um, so seven people in the at-large race. The, the interesting thing here is, and I looked again today at the early voting numbers. Early voting, now granted, some of this is like Matthews, Mint Hill, and Pineville, um, which obviously isn't voting in the at-large city council race for Charlotte. But – turnout in those mainly the four like key southeast charlotte uh, early vote sites through the roof hundreds i mean hundreds and hundreds actually several in one of the cases i think it's like six or seven thousand votes at one precinct at one location where another one that's not in the ninth congressional district what does that do what does that do i'm going to tell you but there's another one the smith family center i think it is and i believe that's one on tyvola that has had a cumulative like 300 votes where another has had like 6,000 votes. Right. And they're not, it's not all that drastic, but I just mean the Southeast Charlotte turnout is through the roof. In theory, it would be a more moderate voter probably. And it would be probably from a demographic perspective, more white and male, right? I don't know about male. I mean, I think probably the gender breakdown from, section to section of town probably isn't all that different yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah you're probably right actually but i mean i you know it, it would theoretically help um more moderate candidates i think i think it helps it certainly helps a smudgy it helps a julie it helps chad i don't think it's i don't i don't know if it's going to be able to get chad over the hump i think um you know and not getting there's there's a 
a lot of endorsements and they are all important in their own way because certain contingencies or certain groups um, rely on certain endorsements maybe to, to try to know who's got their, you know, their career, their um, workplace or career interest in mind or their, their personal interest in mind or whatever advocacy group they might be involved in. Um, Black Political Caucus and Charlotte Observer probably would be considered the two that maybe have the broadest reach. Um, so for someone like Chad who didn't get either of those two, I think he's got a really uphill battle. Um, his name ID is high in Southeast Charlotte because he was on the ballot for all the folks who are represented by Senator Dan Bishop. He did fairly well in that race. Um, I think his, his numbers down there will be pretty good. I don't know if his name ID is high enough throughout the rest of the city to, to overcome, um, the challenge he's got there, which there's seven total people. You know, I think that. I think Smudgy's safe. He got... Uh, Let me get specific on you. Because here's my prediction. Smudgy going to come in first. I think between the Black Political Caucus endorsement, the Charlotte Observer endorsement, and the fact that Southeast Charlotte will probably be more inclined to vote for uh, more moderate candidates, I think Smudgy is a safe bet. Isolt comes in second. I think she... And Braxton are probably you're, you're, two you're and dis, three you're or three and two. You're discounting that she didn't get the BPC on the on the negative side, but they the observer only endorsed three, which I think Those helps three. her there. And it was a, a great glowing endorsement for her. And I'm overlaying the South Charlotte turnout factor that you brought up a minute ago, which makes I don't think she surpasses Smudgy, but I think it's very close. And I, I think Smudgy finishes first in this primary. I think Julie and Braxton or Braxton and Julie in one order or the other finish two, three. I was going to say Braxton three and number four, the fourth total toss up. I it literally, I am on the edge of my seat. Cause I have, I think there's only one seat up for grabs. It's possible too. I mean, there's a scenario that Julie could fall off, right? I, I, I think it's unlikely. Think happen, I, think, I think if she but, falls, she falls to fourth, but yeah. I mean, uh, but the fourth person, and again, I, I think Chad's got a narrow path given the the high turnout in Southeast Charlotte, and if it holds on election day, that'll be interesting too. Do all these Southeast Charlotte people early vote and then not have as large uh, a difference in their day of voting? Not sure, but I think he's got a narrow path. I think it really does come down though to Jorge, so we're, we're Dempel, and Luana. Four. four is the only toss up. Is that, is that what we're saying? Yeah, if I if I had to bet, I think that that Smudgy, there, Julian, no chance, Braxton, right, that Braxton, Braxton drops. I don't out I don't see a way that he's out. I mean, the BPC drop in the BPC, BPC observe. I mean, so I mean, Braxton, but he was barely at the bottom there in their votes. Yeah, but that's, that's not indicative. That's right? I mean, okay. what you're saying is it representative of a larger trend in voters, but yeah, because I mean, no yeah. one knows the order that anyone finished in in endorsements. Um, oh. you either got it or you didn't. I mean, I'm just saying like. The public's not paying attention that deeply. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just seeing is it a proxy or not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that those three. Kevin are, Poirier are in. says Mayfield gets the fourth spot, is my bet. So, again, if, if BPC is a proxy for the feelings of a lot of the African American community, Luana was the top vote getter. So, <coughs> you've got. Here's, here's what then, I so think. So, she is and Jorge got up. like a lukewarm they only endorsed three but they kind of gave a lukewarm to Luana and Jorge how much has Jorge raised do you know a lot not a lot um because because I feel like he's run a pretty robust campaign he's run a good campaign right um he's been ever present absolutely 
Um, it, it'll be interesting. But he's see. clearly got a hill to climb on name ID versus Luana and Dimple. Oh, hands down. Absolutely. But so you've got him there, which I think is an interesting candidate. You've got an incumbent in Luana who's got high profile, high name ID. And Same then you've Dimple. got Dimple who is probably <coughs> has raised the most money probably of anybody. Right. Uh, and, and she my and Julie were like neck and neck. We'll be able to money. see her campaign report probably today or tomorrow. To, so to know like how she spent that money right. and spending it, like is it, I'd be looking for things. Is, is it all on mailers? Well, now here, I'm a, I'm a. If you're sending out mailers, you're going to want to fix that again, probably. Yes. If you're, um, for our radio audience, we just had a, another hiccup on our TV audio. Um, so for whatever this is worth, I mean, I am a obviously very reliable voter in Democratic primary. So if you're sending mailers, I should probably be on your list. Um, so far, I think I've only gotten a mailer from Smudgy. Wow, wow. Um, in the at-large race. Because you would be in the persuasion list. You're, they know you're coming out. They they just – Right. I mean, that, yeah. There's no should, way I'm not on you your list. You should be getting your, – you're five of five. Perfect, right? I mean, in the last decade – yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's no way you're not sending me Kevin a mailer. Kevin says, I've gotten two mailers from Mayfield, two from Smudgy, one from Dimple, and my roommate hmm. got the BBC ballot. I always find that interesting. No other mailers. Now, is anybody so thorough that they're not, that they're combing the list to pull off other council members? Alexis I mean, Gordon says, I got one from Julie. Um, yeah. I mean, no, surely they're not, for the 50 cents it had cost them, they're not, like, scrubbing... 10 colleagues off the list because it doesn't matter. I mean, no, no, no way. No chance. Um, some people scrub for uh, an opponent, an opponent yeah. or something, but even that I think is silly. No, I, I, but here's the other thing. Cause I, I mean, I've run at large, you know, nine and like you have to make, it's not like our district races where we're like, all right, yeah, let's mail to 8,000, 9,000 people. It's you, you have to sit there and say, what am I going to, what am well, I that's going true, to do? Cause the cost is seven times as much. So for as big a percentage as as we spend in a district race for mailers, and I'm not going to give away my mailer strategy here uh, pre-election, but it's a it's the largest expenditure we're making. It's too late for anyone to steal your uh, your uh, your approach. Come on, but man. for what it's for what it's worth in terms of timing and what we might be getting from folks, um, we anticipate that my mailers will be hitting mailboxes this Friday. So I mean, we we decided to do one. Um, instead of multiple and just do it with a broader universe. So people should be getting it Friday. And if, and you, when did that go out? Yeah. Cause like right now, today. today, so today would be the last day you could mail. Like you can't uh, mail tomorrow you, and get away. Yeah. With but that. you, you couldn't get away to, you you're going to start having stuff that'll, that'll hit afterwards. It's probably. possible. Yeah. Um, anybody. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if it's not going out tomorrow, then you are running a high risk, yeah. but, so I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how. I mean, Julian Dimple raised the most money in that race. It'll be interesting to see how they. So who spend are you picking? It. Who do you think is going to do it? You don't have to if you're in the middle of it. I know. I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly think there's so many dynamics between. You know, Jorge and Luana got the BPC, but uh, none of those three actually got the Observer endorsement. Luana and Jorge got the BPC endorsement. Um, Dimple's gotten a, a handful of endorsements from other groups. She's the only one that didn't get BPC or the Observer. 
well, she and Chad are the only two that didn't get either of those in this at-large race. So, it, I mean, there's just so many I'm going to say Jorge. Moving I'm going to call it right now. I'm going to say Jorge squeaks in that fourth spot I think it's by li- a literally razor. like, yeah, yeah, like 40 votes or something. I, I'm not sure out of the 12 votes. <laughs> I'm not sure out of the tens of thousands it'll be. Well, I, no, it won't be tens of thousands because it'll be, yeah, it, it'll be in the people that are winning will be in the 30,000. Nah, I don't let maybe let, 40. Um, in 2017, the primary smudgy won with 22,000. Oh. 19,000 for Braxton, 19,000 for Julie. Okay. And yeah, you're right. 15,000 for Dimple. I guess I'm Ryan thinking. McGill was 13,752. Yeah, right. So he only was literally like 1,300 votes shy of Dimple in the fourth slot. I, I mean, frankly, I, I would have some confidence with Smudgy, Braxton, Julie putting, put, if I had to make a bet on it. I'd have no confidence with what happens with this fourth spot. I mean, it, I think that's going to be, aside from the McCready Bishop thing, that's going to be the most watched. Um, it's race just of the such night. a small number of votes. Literally anything could happen. You it, could li- also it could rain on Tuesday. I don't think it's supposed to, but like, if it rains on Tuesday, and and turnout suppressed, then yeah, y- I don't even know what if, that would mean for certain that, people. If, if but you like, think that turnout, so here's the other thing I'll project: if you think that turnout is going to be less than it was in 2017 all around. Which I think for the portions of Charlotte that are in the 12th congressional district is accurate because there's not a competitive mayor's race going on with tons of people spending tons of money for the mayor's race, pushing out voters. So the only thing that's pulling out voters is the ninth congressional, which is only a quarter of our city. So I think in the other three quarters of the city, what was 8% 2017. That could be a major a major impact because I think turnout down there will be probably closer to like fifteen or twenty. It'll be more like an even and our year turnout in the other three election. quarters and my district very barely overlaps with the ninth. So it's so, not going to have mean, much impact. So eight percent was the turnout in twenty seventeen. It could be six percent. So let's say it's six percent everywhere except down there where it's fifteen percent. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. That I can't. I'm trying and to. That's where Chad, and that's where that. Chad's path to even to being in the discussion is potentially because he was on so many of those people's ballots for the Senate race last year. I wonder how, how many of them are walking in there like independents that are saying, here's which the, side do I pick? Here, well, and here's they the don't other, realize there's nothing to pick on the other side. Well, there is. There is. I'm sorry, and yeah, so there's the other thing right, is if you race. live in, if you're one of your constituents, then there is no Republican primary ballot to even pull. You would, if you're an, indep- if you're a Republican, I guess you only can go down and vote on the Bishop and McCready race because everybody gets to do that. If you're an independent, you would pull the Democratic ballot because there's no other ballot to pull. No, there is. No, down there? Not, in, not in District 6. Oh, not in 6, no. So but then in if, seven, you're, if you're in yeah. 7, you have to decide, you know, you assume Vi is going to win easily, so that doesn't necessarily matter in your calculus. But you know at-large is going to be competitive. Do you either, A, have people that you really, really like or really, really don't that you want to vote for or against in the at-large race, or are you more concerned with weighing in on Ed Riggs versus Victoria Wasike? Well, and if you think of – yeah, so – so and that's a tough decision to make. But if you think about it, turnout, and it looks like – I mean, I, I'm, I don't know this for sure, but I would assume Bishop is probably doing some of the similar tactics that Harris was doing, which is – Absentee voter fraud. No, God. <laughs> I he's agree. Spending, we need to look into that. No, he's spending all, all of probably a vast majority of his resources out east, and McCready's spending a ton of resources here in South Mecklenburg. So, if that's the case, there could be 
a, a much larger um, grouping of of Democrats that turn out. How long does it feel like that we were interviewing Matthew Ridenour and talking about Boss Hog and a long like, that time feels ago, like years ago? But it wasn't really that long. No, ago, I guess. that was like earlier this year. All right, so I've picked my fourth. I say Jorge will squeak it in, and I just flat out don't have don't a know. Clue. Yeah, that's that's. that's um, I don't. I don't really know either. Um, so I, I think those those three. I think, and and frankly, I don't think even if I don't even think whoever finishes last is going to be a distant last. Um, so who, what's your, what's your prediction on the Republican side? That the one person who (laughs) doesn't have a primary is going to be on the November ballot. It's a trick question. Um, Um, all right, right, go districts. District one. Oh, Oh, one. Yeah, start one. That's generally how numbers work. Um, (laughs) I was going to leave yours for the grand finale, man. uh, One. Yeah. What's going to happen there? I don't I think know what this I don't guy's know what the perc- got it. I don't know what the percentage I'm tell you, will be. I don't think he's going to win, but I am going to endorse him right now. Uh, I mean, I think I win, but there's there's certainly a contingent of folks who, um, primarily for the RNC, will will vote for anybody besides me, and and I understand that and can live with that. I'm not going to make a number prediction on that one. Um, I, will I will say I will say my opponent has run. Um, a serious race and I applaud him for that. And he has been respectful. We've had a a good, um, we've had, as you have with your general election opponent, we've had a very respectful um, interactions throughout the campaign. And uh, so I got nothing bad to say about him. He's, he's been a, my prediction is you win this race and you will top, you will go over 4,500 votes. I don't think so because I think I mean there was only you beat there Patsy was only seventy five years ago thirty two hundred to twenty eight hundred. But then Robert Mitchell also had a couple hundred votes. Oh yeah, he did have four eighty seven. So what was the total number of votes? Uh, man, I'm not trying to do that kind of math. It was sixty five hundred or something. It was, it was the thirty four five six yeah sixty five hundred give or take. I'm saying yeah, you're going to get maybe. over forty five hundred. So you're thinking I mean seventy percent and the turnout's going to be lower. I mean, I don't think I don't think I break eighty percent, right. but I don't know. We'll see. Um, District two, we got to replay this back to you if you lose. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't know if it's going to be eighty or eighty-two, guys. <laughs> Give me whatever. No, it's definitely not going to be eighty-two, and it's definitely not going to be eighty. Um, Forty-nine, <laughs> and let's sure as I hope it's not that. District two, District two is definitely going to be either Malcolm Graham or Jessica Davis. We did the interview last week with all of them. Has any of them? Uh, well. Uh, so Malcolm got BPC and Observer. Oh, okay. Um, That's going to be Je- tough to but overcome. But Jessica's there. Jessica's gotten some other ones, and she's also got some really strong oh, she community has leaders. Some? Yeah, she's gotten some really strong community leaders endorse personal endorsements. Um, I've gotten the emails. So I mean, I I think that one's going to be really close. We liked all four of those people, yeah. but I think it's clear that it's going to be Malcolm or Jessica. I think the turnout will be. I mean, again, there's none of that district that overlaps with the ninth congressional. So there's no that spike one had there. even less turnout in 2017. Now that's the one where Justin won by 16 votes or something. So I mean, wow. it could be that's another right. one of those type of races. So if you live in District Two what and you feel strongly about Malcolm or Jessica, um, now would be a good time to that's vote. That's exactly right. District Three is going to be razor thin. Um, we did that back in April, I think, with all three of those candidates. Um, we liked all three. Uh, like they Kay- split, right? One got BPC, one got Observer. Uh, Terry got BPC. Victoria got yeah. Observer. Victoria Watlington. 
Um, Caleb has gotten a couple endorsements, and we like him a lot. We, when we interviewed him, we all thought he would be a good council member, but he's not been as present um, or as visible as Terry or Victoria. That's probably a, Any a big difference in fundraising between them that you've seen or noticed? It's been a while since I looked at that one. I don't think that either one of them was – Neither one of them was doing terribly, but neither one of them was like blowing their fundraising out of the so water. So, like, who? So, how would you make a prediction on this one? Would you say <laughs> no more than I could with Jessica and Malcolm? I, I flat out think that like it's going to be inside a five points difference, and I don't. I think it's a toss up. Um, I say, they've, been, they've both been working their butts yeah, off. They have. I, I, I'll predict and, that. And from, I mean, consider how far back we interviewed them in April. Like they've been running almost year long races. I'll go back to, and I didn't predict the one before that. So I predicted you, then I'm predicting, uh, Malcolm squeaks that one out. Then I'm predicting that, um, Victoria squeaks this one out. If Malcolm does win, I think Jessica Davis will be on city council at some point in the future. If like I'm saying, if she doesn't win now, I think, she'll come back and be on city council at some other point in the future. I think she's, and I will, I mean, there's a bunch of strong candidates. Well, and I'll say, I'll say whichever of Terry, and a bunch of not strong candidates, whichever one of Victoria and Terry doesn't win, I think should certainly not hang it up. I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there, there is a, when I say squeak it out, I think it's going to be another one of those real times. Yeah. But I just think, you know, Justin beat Jatanya Adams by 16 votes and Jatanya Adams was a great candidate would have been a great council member. Obviously, we love Justin. We're glad he's here. But um, and Victoria's. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Jatanya has moved on to other professional opportunities. But can't believe she know, didn't run again. I hope. Well, because of a professional. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, circumstance she's in that I don't think she would have allowed to do both. But you know, you hope that people don't get that invested and and work that hard, uh, and then one loss is all it takes for them to to fade away. Because you know, at that point, you're you're far more prepared to be on council than you were the year prior. I mean, you've learned a lot about the job. You've learned a lot about the city. Uh, and those are skills that I hope people will put to work, whether they win or lose. Um, district four is the one race that has a chance of going to a runoff. Right. Um, so Renee Perkins Johnson got both the BPC and the observer endorsement. Uh, I think it is fair to say that she will be, she very likely will be the top vote getter out of the, is it five or six Democrats on that ballot? I think there's six. She will likely be the top vote getter. Where's your party? They couldn't weed a couple of these folks out early on. So at least there's just one race. That's that's not how filing works. Anyone who wants to file can file. And Uh, and frankly, there's not like, there's not everyone in that field is, is likable. Um, the question is, will Renee, if she's the top vote getter, which I predict she will be, does she break 30%? Now, the threshold when we first, when we ran in 2017 40, right? <clears throat> used to be 40, which increased the likelihood of a runoff. And you don't necessarily like the Board of Elections and taxpayers shouldn't want a lot of runoffs happening frequently because it costs a lot of money yeah, exactly. and turnout's 3%. Isn't it like 400K per per time you do a special I don't remember, election? but it's not cheap. And, uh, I mean, it depends, obviously, if it's a district or citywide or whatever. But... Um, so with 30% and six candidates, I think she'll be right there, like right at high 20s, low 30s. If she doesn't get 30%, there'll be a runoff, which would be on Tuesday, October 8th. And then it's a matter of who is the other candidate. I think um, given, I mean... It, I hope Gabe, for everybody's sake that doesn't happen. Well, Gabe Cartagena has, has worked really hard to oh, right. turn out UNC Charlotte students. And so... 
How many that, of them can realistically vote, though? Any of them who want to update their registration. I mean, they, they live here. You can I updated my vote registration and voted in Boone at one point. I mean, when you're in college, if you want to, you can vote where you're in college. And so there's... I wasn't really... There's like... <laughs> it was like the year after college that I really started plugging But if you'd have had a friend running for, for office up in Virginia when in you were in college, <laughs> if, if you'd had a buddy running for city council, you'd have been like, yeah, all right, I'll go vote. I guess. I, I don't know, though. College kids... You, you know just, what motivated us when I was up there? There was a referendum to try to get liquor party. by the drink. No. Oh. Boone did not have liquor by the drink when I was in college, and, and it failed. Because they always put it like during summer break when I all just, the students I, were gone. I just don't think college students will turn out. We'll see. He's we'll been be working hard. I mean, that, but that gives him a Will very... they all be in one precinct? Or is it? Are they spread yeah. across a, oh, no, several in, precincts? Oh, yeah. You'll be able to tell. If so they we'll vote be able to tell. I, my prediction in this one is... And you'll be able to see by ages. Th- th- there'll be a, sm- a little spike, but it won't be much. It gives him a path. I mean, if he gets 500... Is you, the polling location on campus? It's walkable. Really? All right. Because it's it's basically on the other side of Tryon. Just, they're, they're just not going to go. They're just not going to go. I mean, I think that, you know, with, with what happened in April on campus there, I think people are more motivated to be more engaged uh, with politics. All right. Okay, all right. That's, um, uh, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of energy. And so it certainly gives him a path. Has to, he been using that as, a, as his campaign angle? I mean, it's certainly been a lot of what he talks about. It's not like he's not a one-issue candidate, but it's certainly been something that he's been focused on, and he's been saying how that motivated him and uh, gave him a, a different. It's just a lot of steps. Change your registration. But if you early go. vote, you can do all that at the same time. I I, I, I like him. I, I getting to know him on the campaign trail. I think he's um, a, he's a good dude. I think that if I had to guess, I mean, Richmond Baker's been pretty pretty out there, um, pretty visible. I mean, they all have like. Frankly, if it's not if Renee doesn't get thirty, and Gabe's not the number two, and there's a runoff, I'm not sure who else would be the most likely other number two. I feel like Richmond Baker's gotten a couple endorsements, um, and probably been he and Sean Thompson have probably been the most visible. But all those candidates have been out there um, with some regularity. The endorsements have been kind of scattered across all of that field, so. That was really hard to predict. I do think it could go to a runoff. If it does go to a runoff, we will have the two remaining candidates in here between primary night on September 10th and runoff night on October 8th so that District 4 listeners um, can get a better idea for them. We we decided against trying to have all six in now. I don't know. It's like, just too unwieldy. I, be, I don't think I could even like make a prediction on this because I just don't even like. And then, even the, and then that's the one. One, that, one person got both endorsements. Renee Johnson got BPC. And I'll predict MSA. that and that she breaks 30 breaks 30. Um, and then that will have, um, you know, you've got Brandon Pierce as the Republican who will be on the ballot in November. He'll probably win that. Um, the demo, the, the demographics from Republican and Democrat voters certainly don't look good for Brandon in the general, but he, he will, run, he, he, he will he, run a hard he, race. Yeah, he, dude, he's been working really hard he for a while. Pull it out. We'll see. Um, District 5, Matt has two opponents. Matt has gotten... Um, I think the one running against Matt's going to win. <laughs> well, there's two, and neither has a chance. Both will win. Uh, Mark Vincent seems like a really nice guy, has been largely invisible on the campaign trail. Finroy has been very visible on the campaign trail. Wait, really, what's his slogan? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, Finroy has been very visible on the campaign trail, is a entirely lovable guy. But in the five-way primary that Matt 
ultimately won in a runoff in 2017, Fenroy finished last. Matt so, New- Here's my prediction. Matt Newton wins. He'll get he tops 3,000 votes. He gets over 3,000 votes. I think Matt will Matt will win with a higher percentage than, than I will. With two opponents? Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't think, I think in Matt's case and my case, people are either voting for him or they're voting against him. Or they're voting for me or they're voting against me. I don't think there's a large... Why would anyone vote against Matt? I don't think there's a large contingent of people that are voting specifically for Mark or specifically for Vinroy. I think any elected official has people that just don't like him um, for one reason or another. And Is they're... it arrogance? Do you think it's their arrogance? <laughs> Who's? <laughs> You're like, I don't know, but uh, people are pretty much either voting for me or against me. Well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm voting against you. Um... um Matt Matt will win with seventy five or eighty percent of the vote. Mark Vincent will I get five percent. Venro will get fifteen. And then finally, Ed Driggs, Victoria. No. Oh yeah, you don't have a primary. Um, I, I will win yeah. in September. Do District people six? even have to check the box for you? No, I don't even have an option. There's nothing to vote for. I didn't know, but I mean, like you know. Oh, gen- I guess maybe you could do a write-in or no? Well, I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Some people said they, the gen- they went and they were concerned because there was nothing to vote for. And I said, well, yeah, there's nothing there. Huh. Yeah, I mean, no, they don't. Because I'm looking at this like Your sample District ballot. 3 in 2017, Luana, she had no opponent, right? So she wasn't even on the ballot? There, there's no there's no. Because, you know, in the general election, you're on Usually the ballot. You, and you're, you have to be in the general. Right. And then there's a Yeah, because this is, this is more of like a, they're not accepting write-ins, I guess. Interesting. I um. So District Seven, I think, I mean, so Victoria got the BPC endorsement, which doesn't clearly doesn't mean as much in a Republican primary, no. um, but not irrelevant. She got the Observer endorsement, which I think was a big surprise to a lot of folks. I would have said if if we had done this episode on Friday last week, I would have given the nod to Ed. Um, but that Observer endorsement. Not only was that surprising to me, and I'm, and I'm it was guessing, also a little rough. And I'm guessing if if you did a heat map of observer subscriptions in Charlotte, again, yeah, the south, the south is probably down there higher. Is, is well, but they also there's a lot of people that don't like the observer because they think it's liberal. Yeah, so I don't, that's actually interesting too because you probably have a lot of readership in his district, and yet much of the readership who would be voting in a Republican primary might feel like the observer is, is liberal. I also think there's a lot of people that don't pay attention to that yet get the paper. And like you see them coming in with it tucked under their arm, uh, on election day. So I, it's hard to tell if I had to put money on it. I think Ed wins. I think it is real close. I, uh, like I said, I would have, I would, that's exactly what I, what I've said last week. Um, it's just something about that endorsement paired with the fact that it cited um, some developer uh, angst uh, on rezonings and the fact that I've heard through the grapevine that Victoria's, again, both of them are running really hard campaigns. Um, Victoria's been maybe courting some of those folks that have been um, upset from pre- pre- previous rezonings, like the first one we had on council with Providence and the freaking uh, grocery store thing. So, you know, in, in a low turnout race, um, I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. 
It's who gets people out. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to be real close. And there again, there's the moving piece of, I'm guessing almost the entirety, if not the entirety of district seven city council is in the ninth congressional. Does district. Bishop McCready, who, which candidate? That's that what I help? can't figure out. I can't either. Um, Cause all we're talking about is independence. Right. Yeah, I mean, independence who does an independent, but if you're an, independent, Oh, maybe not. No, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm thinking you're about indi- that wrong. If you're an independent, you would have to choose you would have to choose to skip the at-large right, race right, right. so that you could vote for Ed or okay, Victoria. Okay, let me take that all So back, you'd almost have dumb. to have a personal relationship with Ed or Victoria to be an independent picking the Republican ballot. Right. Because why would you otherwise be motivated enough to pull that ballot and lose out on your chance to weigh in on at-large? So let's so let's say that it is... So I think independents will break towards voting in the Democratic primary far more than in the Republican primary, which takes away maybe your more moderate conservatives... Which, I mean, I don't know if people down there are considering Victoria the more moderate conservative That's the or thing. not. I don't, I don't really know who's considering people in what. I would, I would think just, they I mean, were. This ninth I would think district. they're considering Victoria more of a um, centrist, probably. I would guess whether that. that's accurate or not. That's probably the assumption. Yeah, yeah. Um, which then, if people are breaking towards a Democratic ballot, that could hurt her. But that's but, over. That's overthinking it, probably. But, yeah, but, but in the same, probably the same. As, as many people who turn out like that, just as many, if not more, re- Republicans turn out to vote for Bishop. And I'm not saying like I think more Democrats will turn out for McCready than Republicans will turn out for Bishop, even down there in Ballantyne in that area. But those aren't crossing paths in the District Seven race. And if there's somebody, if there's a Republican particularly a white male Republican who wouldn't have turned out for the city municipal races, but does turn out solely because they want to vote for Bishop. Does that person tend to break more towards an Ed Driggs? Mm. I mean, I, what the Bishop McCready race does to the at large and to the district seven races, it will have a material impact. It's just really hard to know what it is. I mean, so all we know, we'll know afterwards. We know the impact it had on 2018 and it was, Dan McCready spent all of his time attacking and defending in Mecklenburg and uh, Harris spent all of his time attacking and defending out east where it's more conservative and more rural. And while that's a fine strategy and it ended up squeaking Harris through, um, theoretically, um, election night. it left South Charlotte basically uh, to in the municipal races to fend for themselves. And that's when people like Matthew Ridenauer and all the Republicans got swept off County commission, really not in, in hardly any part due to how, how they were running their races uh, or, or how they had performed. It was simply a wave that crashed over them because, you know, you can't have millions of dollars being spent at a congressional level uh, campaign that goes undefended in the, all the precincts that you're going to, you just can't. So that is everything that people will see on their ballots. Um, it is Tuesday now and there is early voting on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday of this week at all locations. There is no weekend early voting. And then election day is on Tuesday, September 10th. And the polls that day will be open from 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., but on election day, you have to vote at your assigned precinct, wherever that is in your neighborhood. Um, during the last three days of early voting, you can vote at any of the sites. 
all of which will be open from 8 a.m. to, I'm sorry, all of them are open 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Hal Marshall opens two hours earlier each day at 8 a.m. So you've got three days left this week if you want to early vote, um, or you can wait till Tuesday. So get out there and get your vote on. But do it because, I mean, we've said it repeatedly, but it, it bears repeating one more time. The turnout in these things is abysmal. Your vote is important in 2020, but your vote does not have nearly the impact in 2020 that it has in 2019, particularly in a primary. Um, and largely the city races will be decided in the primary, not in the general. So it's if you want your vote to matter, I mean, again, Justin Harlow is on city council representing over 100,000 people and was able to do all the stuff he was able to do in the last two years because 16 more people voted for him. That's insane. We are the 16th largest city in the country, and we have a council member that was elected by a margin of 16 votes. Coincidence? If you don't, I don't think if you so. don't think that your vote matters in these races, that should be the only example you need to know that it does. And don't let. I know no one's looking for my endorsement, and I'm not going to give it. <laughs> but if there are three people in, out there in Radioland really disappointed right in now, in your heart of hearts, if you want me for however many months until my election occurs to be sitting here with this riding over my head that I have another podcast co-host folks. Don't do that to me. Don't do it to me. It'll be so sad. I, I think hate... we should make a pact now like a blood oath that like, we'll never have another podcast with anyone else. I totally agree. All right. We're doing pinky it. swear. Pinky swear on it. The podcast lives uh, and dies. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We just with pinky Larkin swear. and Tark. Well done. All right. I mean, now, at least all of our listeners, even if they don't like us, will vote for us because what else are you going to listen to? Dude, if if I, if if I lose, I'm going to go off and do like more of like a Joe Rogan style podcast. That'll be that'll be my uh, kind of floating off into obscurity. If we both lose, maybe we keep the podcast alive. Agreed. But make it like monthly. Nope. <laughs> not doing a weekly podcast. We're going to go fast. We're, we're not going daily. <laughs> daily. All right, man. Well, we did it. Well, good luck on my, on Tuesday. Whatever day. Tuesday. 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 Good luck on Tuesday. Uh, we'll Much obliged. Where are you having a party? Is it publicly announced? I haven't decided yet. I'd like to swing by that thing, man. If we have one, I'll let you know. <laughs> say, that seems Don't sketchy. call me. I'll call you. All right. That's sketchy. Harlow and I already discussed we might uh, hop a few parties together. Right. Two guys, nothing on the line, nothing to lose. Yet yet all, all right. right that was episode 74 make sure you get out and rock the vote we will probably do a post-election recap sometime late next week look for that and until then have a good one. see ya I'm